Anybody know Pat Gray out there? Raise your hand. Yeah, some of y'all do. So, you do it here. They know me. Okay. So here's my wife with this wonderful gift. And uh, actually, did you want to... Um, we actually have a flower here, too, for... Yes, sure. Why don't you say it? We would like to honor sometimes when we give flowers to our baptismal candidates, also to other church members that have done tremendous amount of work and have gone maybe not with thank you from the front. And uh, Pat has studied Bible with Esther Latour, Dr. Esther Latour, and Dr. Esther Latour has a busy schedule, but she still finds a time to have people over at her house, and I have no idea how she can do this. I'm a pastor's wife. I am supposed to do these things, but I am exhausted after I come home from work, and she does it so faithfully, and I know she's not present today. We will give her this afternoon at her home. We will deliver the flower, but we have a rose here for her to thank her for all that she has done, and she has maybe never been thanked for a couple years from the front. All right, thank you so much. All right, so now the membership part. I uh, would look for a motion to accept Pat into our membership. I see a hand or two back there. A second? All right, I see many seconds. All right, uh, praise God. Well, we wanna have a prayer for you. I think we'll take that as a all in favor then. So, all right, let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father God, we're just so grateful for Pat. We've, many of us have known her for, for quite a few years and we're excited about this step in her life. And Lord, just continue to bless her and keep her and make her a blessing as you already have done. And just continue to do it even more. Lord, especially equip her for the service that you want her to do and to be in this church and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some years ago, this church had a pastor that preached a series on the Exodus type and anti-type. Anybody remember who that was? Bruce, you should probably not be able to answer because you probably know who it is. <laughs> But it was Taylor Bunch, right? Taylor Bunch, one of our former pastors. And he did this whole series on the Exodus type and anti-type. Now we're reading through, as a church, we're reading through the Conflict of the Ages series. Tremendous five-book set. And um, we are on, still on the first book. If you want to join us, it's easy to do. Just join right in. You don't have to worry about going back to the beginning. You can start right where we're at. And if you need those books, a set of those books, let me know. Be glad to help you out because we do have some paperback copies of that. But there are a lot of parallels between the exodus of Israel and the movement of Adventism. And that's what Taylor Bunch chronicled. That's what I will chronicle for you today in a much more abbreviated manner. And it's not all good news, shall I? I mean, it's all good news at the end, but um, there's some things that may challenge us along the way. And uh, that's good news also, isn't it? All right, let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we get into your holy word now, we ask your spirit to come especially close to each one of us. Oh Lord, bless each family that's here. 
and speak to their hearts. Give us clarity of understanding. Give us conviction of your spirit. Lord, make us catalysts in these last days of who you really are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have type and anti-type, and there it is. Wonderful. So here are some of the parallels. Obviously, there are things that parallel the Exodus and the Advent movement. There are things that don't. So I'm not saying everything does, and don't, you know, don't try to make everything fit necessarily. But here are some things that I think do. And so we'll look at those this morning. First of all, they were both God-ordained movements. And they were also time-related movements. Time prophecies, right? 1844 came at the end of what time prophecy? 2,300 days. And here they were supposed to be in bondage for how long? 400 years, right? So we see that they're both had a time element involved with them. And they both were prophetic movements that God raised up. We're a part of the Reformation, actually, this Adventist church. We stand on the shoulders of the reformers through the years. And this is the end of the Reformation. So it's good news. And so both were God-ordained and both had a time element involved. Both are a call for people to come out, right? Obviously come out of Egypt, come out of Babylon is our call. So we're calling people out as did God called the Israelites out. And they were to call others out. Others did go with them. Thirdly, it's to prepare a people to enter in to Canaan. All right, so the Exodus, they, they were coming out. They could have gone in much sooner. They did not. They wandered around and went in circles for 40 years. That was actually in one way a good thing, which we're going to look at. But they did finally enter in, and they were a movement that was to prepare people to enter in. That is the same with the Seventh-day Adventist church. We are called to prepare a generation to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus is coming soon, amen? amen. To prepare a generation to meet the Lord and to be translated. Now, obviously many will be Seventh-day Adventists and go via what we've called the Underground Railroad, right? That is, go to the grave and be raised up. Hey, that's good enough for me, amen? I'll be happy with that. But what would it be like to be a part of the generation that will be translated, that will see the Lord coming? I believe that we can be that part of that, amen? That we're that far down the road of earth's history. So we too are to prepare a generation to enter in, to enter into the heavenly Canaan. Both had a message of righteousness by faith. And that's where I take you to Psalms 105 and onward. So turn with me to Psalms 105, if you would, please. So Psalms 105, 106, 107 chronicle Israel's travels and the Exodus movement. 
And it's, it's a good read. Would be good to read maybe even every week. Psalm 105, 106, and 107. And we're not going to get through all of it, but you can see here sprinkled in, it's about the works of God, the works of God, the works of God, not our works. It's a message of righteousness by faith. The only way to get righteousness is by faith. We don't have any, but Jesus has a full supply awaiting us. Psalms 105, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds or his works among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk you of all his wondrous works. So it's about the works of God, the works of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. That was to be their message. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works that he has done, his wonders, the judgments of his mouth. Down further, verse 11. Heaven is a gift. This verse reminds us, saying unto thee, I will give the land, I will give unto thee the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. So righteousness by faith tells us heaven is a gift. And secondly, this text tells us heaven is an inheritance cannot be purchased, but the testator must die for it to be yours. Oh, are you walking in your inheritance today? So much good stuff. Skip over to 106, and I'll share a little bit from there. Actually, 105.42, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Of course, Abraham, the father of faith, the father of the faithful, Psalm 106, verse 8. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Have you been redeemed today? That was not strong. <laughs> have you been redeemed today? Amen, right? We have been redeemed. You could say in a, there's a sense in which Christ redeemed the whole human race. But there's a special sense for you because you are a believer and you have reveled in that. You have rejoiced in it. You have appreciated it. You have accepted it. That's a whole different level of redemption. That's what we have today. Much, much more there. And we'll look at some of that through the other slides as we go along. But God gave the Israelites, and he gave us a message of righteousness by faith for the end times, which includes religious liberty, right? 
The only reason a church would strive to have the government help them along with their gospel is because their gospel doesn't work. We don't need the government's help with our gospel, amen? <laughs> so when church and state try to work together, it's always a bad picture. And um, we see, and I think we'll see more of that. We will see more of that as we know what Revelation 13 tells us. But God has given us a message of righteousness by faith. He had given the spirit of prophecy to his last day people. He had given prophets. Uh, there's a sense in which they were all prophets coming out of Egypt. And so both had the spirit of prophecy. And that's just where God speaks through people, right? As my father-in-law would say <clears throat> in his Yugoslavian accent. We follow no man, we follow no woman, we follow Holy Spirit. Come on and say amen if that's correct. That's right, right? Now, the Holy Spirit may speak through a man or a woman, but we follow the Holy Spirit, the truest sense, the spirit of prophecy. Both back then and both in our time, Sabbath and Sunday are the pivotal issue. It's pivotal because it stands for something. The Sabbath stands for what? The fact that Christ is our perfect Savior and our perfect Creator, right? We rest. When we come to church on Sabbath, when, we, when Friday night begins and we begin the Sabbath, we are resting in His perfect and finished work of creation. When He was done, it was finished, right? It was all good. It was very good. At the cross, Jesus, right, lifts up His hands and He says, it is what? finished. And so he is our perfect redeemer. He has redeemed us completely. He has created us. We couldn't create ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. Christ did both of those. That's what the Sabbath stands for. Sunday, on the other hand, stands for works of man and is therefore to be rejected. But the Sabbath and Sunday are pivotal issues. They were back then, if you remember. A political figure basically made a law that everyone had to work on Sabbath, right, Pharaoh? And in the last days, we'll also see Sunday laws come into play. That's already, they're all already on the books in many states, and we'll see those come into play even more before the Lord comes. Both groups, and here's where it gets, uh, can be a challenge, but it's, it's good for us to be challenged. Both groups caused a delay. And we're going to look at why the delay. Why, why were they delayed? Why didn't they just, you know, why did they have to circle around and around and around? Why couldn't they just have gone more the straight path to Canaan? And what about us? Has there been a delay in Adventism, there has, and we'll look at that. Both had plagues involved, right? 10 or seven. Both are finally victorious. Now, I said that the going around and around in the wilderness, at least in one way, was a blessing. And that's this. Because as the people of God went around, they had some signs following them, didn't they? During the day, what was it? 
a cloud, right? And at night, right, this fire, the sun. And so as they traveled, the Canaanites had a chance to repent, right? If they would have just gone straight through, they wouldn't have gone to some of these other places. So in that sense, you could say it was a blessing because not only does righteousness, righteousness need to fully develop and be seen, wickedness actually does also. Turn with me to Genesis 15, and I'll share this with you. And verse, actually, I am looking here. Fifteen and verse sixteen, Genesis. <clears throat> All right, it says this. It says, but in the fourth generation, Genesis fifteen sixteen. But in the fourth generation, they must come hither again. Fourth generation. For or because of something, and here it is, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Interesting. That's the reason they must do that. Now, I think what we have here is a literary device called a synecdoche, which basically means you use one part and it really represents the whole, or sometimes you can use the whole and it represents the parts, but I think here it's one, the Amorites representing the whole of Canaan. So the iniquity of the Canaanites was not yet full. Not only does righteousness have to ripen and be seen, but so does wickedness before Jesus comes. And here's a statement from this book in our series, Prophets and Kings. And it says this, now, this is, can be challenging for us because we are more Arminian than we are Calvinist. Um, and this is a statement about the sovereignty of God. But uh, it's nevertheless true. It's not one or the other, by the way. <laughs> it's both. Here's what it says. With unerring accuracy, the infinite one still keeps accounts with the, what? With the nations. So here, the context is nations here. Could work for individuals too, but the context here is nations. While his mercy is tendered with calls to repentance, this account remains open. But when the figures reach a certain amount that God has fixed, we can't fix it, we can't make this amount, we can't say this is the level, but he knows what the level is. When the figures reach a certain amount that God has fixed, the ministry of his wrath begins. The account is closed. Divine patience ceases. Mercy no longer pleads in their behalf. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? 
pretty strong on the sovereignty of God. Now the account is closed. We know there'll be a close of probation. And the, the intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary will no longer be interceding, but the Holy Spirit will still be with us, amen? And still be guiding our every step. You don't need an attorney once the case is over, amen? And so the high priest will no longer be interceding for us at the close of probation. <clears throat> but the Holy Spirit will be with us. Every case will have already been decided. But this is a statement that we have to, to look at and to understand that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So this is something else that is happening in our day. And so if it seems like the world is getting more and more wicked quickly, that's terrible. It's, this is a grand and awful time, right? We don't rejoice in that, but that means we're getting closer and closer to the Lord's coming. Amen? And our preacher last week mentioned about, are these the signs of the last days? And I will say, I think they are. What we're going through now is signs of the last days. And he, he alluded to the fact that we haven't really seen the good things that are prior to the Lord's second coming. But we will. And the Lord is raising that up. And I believe it's right here among us as he works through us. But indeed, we are, you could say, well, you know, 1918, there was a flu, etc. We are 100 years closer to the Lord's coming than then. Amen? We are on the doorstep of eternity. We're on the borders of the heavenly Canaan. The knife edge of eternity as... Mark Finley likes to say, that's where we are. It's an exciting time, time when God is getting ready to do great things. All right, so here's a statement from Patriarchs and Prophets. It says this, many look back to the Israelites, marveling at their unbelief and murmuring, feeling that they would not have been so ungrateful. Have you ever done that? You're reading through the Bible and you're like, what? When are they gonna get it? I have thought that, but listen to this. Many look back to the Israelites, marveling at their unbelief and murmuring, feeling that they themselves would have not been so ungrateful. But when their faith is tested, how are you doing with that, right? When your faith is tested, even by little trials, they manifest no more faith or patience than did ancient Israel. Ouch, right? Does that step on your toes a little? <laughs> but it's true, right? We look back and we say, when are they going to get it? I mean, they're, you know, every time, you know, they're, they're, they go the wrong way and then they cry out and then God answers and he takes care of them and then they go back the other way and then they cry out and God takes care of them and then they go back the other way and then they cry out and God takes care of them. Ah, uh, what about us as modern Israel looking for the heavenly Canaan? God wants us to be right with him all the time, amen, consistent. He's always with us. He'd love to bless us in prosperity. He couldn't do it with Israel. 
Here's Psalms 106.11. Why the delay? The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. God had protected them so mightily. Then they believed his words. That's what we need, the faith of Jesus. They sang his praise, but then look at this. They quickly forgot his works. If you read Psalms 105, 106, you've read it before. You know, it's just this, this circle. You know, they, they get truly blessed and, you know, then they're like, ah, you know, and, and they forget God and then they come back and have to cry out to him and he's there and he's there. But oh, that they might cry out sooner and not go on this circle and us too going on. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for whose plan? His plan, so important. How is your life measuring up to his plan? Are you asking him for his plan? Or is this just sort of your plan, the way your life is going? It's important, isn't it? Lay all our plans at his feet. He will direct and guide our steps. He'll make it clear to you that it is his plan. So go to him, please and allow him to plan your life. You'll never be sorry for that. They did not wait for his plan, but became lustfully greedy in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. Well, he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. Psalm 106.11. Why the delay? It was not the will of God that Israel should wander 40 years in the wilderness. He desired to lead them directly to the land of Canaan and establish them there, a holy, happy people. But, Hebrews 4, 6, they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. And that is the root. That is the foundation of everything else, of all the fruit that is either, well, in, in unbelief's case, all the fruit that is negative and sinful. So why the delay? Well, we had a goal. God gave his last day church a goal. Take the message of Christ, righteousness to the world to prepare the way of the Lord. Did God show up? Oh, yes. And in a mighty way, the Lord in his mercy sent a most precious message to his people. Further in that statement, this is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure or in latter rain power. And that message, the loud cry, God gave to his people it was 1888, and the messengers were Jones and Wagner. He didn't use Ellen White, interestingly enough. He did use her, but not, they weren't the, she wasn't the primary source. She'd been preaching it for years leading up to that and, and after that. But he used two young men, and that was a problem for some of the older preachers and teachers. How could God not give that to me? He's giving it to these young people? 
the message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior. It was a Christ-centered message, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest. Its fruit is obedience to all the commandments of God. The present message, again, still speaking of what God gave to us in 1888 to set us on course. The present message, justification by faith, is a message from God. It bears the divine credentials. If you've got the divine credentials, that's all the credentials you need. Well, we were almost home, right? We were on the borders of the heavenly Canaan. Ellen White said this, 1879, we are on the very borders of the eternal world. And then in 1889, that was even before 1888, 1889, what place have we for jesting and levity? Right here on the borders of the eternal world. Ah, we were right there, right there. What happened? Well, here's what happened. Satan succeeded in shutting away from our people in a great measure the special power of the Holy Spirit that God longed to impart to them. The light that is to lighten the whole earth with its glory, the loud cry was resisted. And by the action of our own brethren, was in a great degree kept away from the world. Wow. So we, and we're part of them in a sense, right? Because this is us. You're a few years down the road, but these are your ancestors of the Seventh-day Adventist Church kept the light away from the world in a great degree. One more on this. An enemy has done this. If the power of Satan can come into the very temple of God and manipulate things as he pleases, the time of preparation will be prolonged or they'll be wandering in the wilderness, which is exactly what took place. Here is the secret of the movements made to oppose the men, Jones and Wagner, whom God sent with a special Sorry, sent with a message of blessing for his people. Wow. So we were on the borders of the eternal Canaan. God had given this message to this church, not because we're better than anybody else, but he just blessed us with it. And we were right there on the borders and we turned back around. Ellen White would say this. She would call it the saddest experience of my life. Now, if you've ever read a biography on Ellen White and her life, she had some pretty sad things happen along the way, but this was the saddest experience of her life, she would say. The enemy continues his fight. This is from one of the books in the series we're looking at, also Patriarchs and Prophets. As we approach, and now we're, now we're down to us, as we approach the close of time, as the people of God stand upon the borders of the heavenly Canaan, Satan might, is that what it says? No. Satan will 
as of old, redouble his efforts to, present, to prevent them from entering the goodly land. So what he did back then, he's not through with today, right? The enemy continues his fight. And then this, he lays his snares for how many? Every soul. Has he laid snares for you then? Yes, he has. <laughs> is God greater than Satan? Yes, he is. So we have a savior that's near at hand that can come to our aid, that can give us victory. But don't think for a moment that Satan isn't going to try to do his work because he will and he is laying his snares for every soul. Well, only you know what that might be in your life, or you might not know because <laughs> it might not have come to that yet. But what you can know, what you must know, is that Christ is our victory, amen? As he walked through life and won the victory, it's, it's as if we were in him. His victory is ours. He lived the perfect life that you and I can't live, haven't lived, right? He died the death that we deserve and all that he offers to us as a free gift that we may overcome the snares that Satan has laid for each one of us. And we will overcome by his grace. Satan's snares are laid for us as verily as they were laid for the children of Israel prior to their entrance in the land of Canaan. Here's some potential ones. Well, these are ones that actually affected Israel of old, right? Unbelief. In the last days, in the book of Revelation, that's described as passionate unfaithfulness. In the last days, there'll only be two groups, the passionately unfaithful and the passionately faithful. A critical murmuring spirit this was part and parcel of the problem of ancient Israel. May it not be our problem today. A lack of humility, i.e. pride. And that will rise up in each one of us, but for the grace of God. And that grace is powerful to save. Forgetting his past leadings. This is another key, key one. If Israel would have done that, they would have been safe. And we too can look at our past leadings, how God has led in our personal lives, how God has led in the movement, the Seventh-day Adventist movement. The Exodus movement, by the way, was an illustration of righteousness by faith, of being brought out, out of the house of bondage. And I think our movement could be considered that too as a part of the Reformation. We've been brought out by a mighty hand. So don't forget his past leadings, worldliness, legalism, either ditch he would love to have people fall into. And I guess maybe in totality, taking our eyes off of Christ. Let nothing take your eyes off of Christ. It's very easy today. I don't know about you, but I get emails, I get texts of it's not quite as bad since I guess we have a new president, although sometimes I wonder, because <laughs> I still get texts saying, it's not really the president yet. Um, and that's, you know, there's just a lot of conjecture out there, isn't there, about so many things, but don't let it take your eyes off of Christ, amen? 
Don't let it take you away from your time in his word and your time in prayer with him. So those are some of the negatives. All right, but we're not closing with the negatives, certainly. The victory is in Christ and in his message and in his word as we store his word in our hearts and minds and begin to love his word. Like Jeremiah said, I did find his word and I ate it and it was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Oh, may that be your experience. The message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. What is this message, by the way? Ask me after church. I can give you lots of material to study if you don't have it already. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel, this message of the righteousness of Christ. Then, prophets and kings, clad in the armor of Christ's righteousness, the church is to enter upon her final conflict. So we must have that righteousness of Christ. Amen? And if we have it, it's the perfect article, right? Perfect. It is without spot or wrinkle. And it was woven in the loom of heaven without one thread of our human devising. That's the righteousness that God wants to give us. He wants us to shine for him at our work, at school, at home, everywhere we go. Love this, the victory is in him. The Israelites had not gained the victory by their own power. Amen? The conquest had been whose? Holy the Lord's. It was to be impressed upon Israel that in the conquest of Canaan, they were not to fight for themselves. Interesting. But simply as instruments to execute the will of God. Not to seek riches or self-exaltation, but the glory of Jehovah, their king. It's from that book, Patriarchs and Prophets. And so God wants to give us that faith to go through. We need to keep our eyes on him and our face in this book. Amen? As one of my fellow pastors said, we spend too much time on Facebook and not enough time with our face in the book. But that needs to be where we're at. Amen? The book and communing with him in prayer. What do you want me to do, Lord? Love this. This is powerful on faith. We may achieve victories which are erroneous and misconceived opinions, our own defects of character, our own smallness of faith have made to seem impossible. You might say, well, that, that's not working for me. Well, no, no. It can, it will. Faith, we scarcely know what it is. One or two more here. Then we're closing. It is because his professed followers, sorry, it is because his professed people trust so much in their own wisdom and do not give the Lord the opportunity to reveal his power in their behalf that he may be glorified. This is the reason that they have no more strength. Faith is the living power 
that presses through every barrier, overrides all obstacles, and plants its banner in the heart of the enemy camp. I love that picture. God will do marvelous things for those who what? Trust in him and his righteous character. Well, as we close, I want to share a poem with you that I wrote many years ago. Actually, it was, was it? I think it was before I moved to California. You know, I pastored here in Michigan, moved to California. By the way, never say, I don't want to go back to Michigan because it won't work. Uh, (laughs) Didn't work for me. We've been back three times and we said we'd never come back. But um, glad I'm here. But uh, anyway, I was in Michigan the first time before we'd gone to California and I was up. How many of you have been to our camp meeting? Been to camp meeting? How many of you have been to camp meeting? Okay, so at camp meeting, up on the hill they have the, I guess it's the Cedar Lake Elementary School. And they used to put me in primary all the time and let me teach the primary kids. I think it was because that was probably about where my intelligence level was, not sure. But anyway, so I would would be up on the hill and, you know, teaching there. And I was reading about Israel and the Exodus. And I was thinking about, I was looking down from the hill from up there at the elementary school. And, you know, I could see everybody camped. And I thought, wow, (laughs) here we are. Like Israel, we're all camped around. Yeah, you want to pass that out now? Thank you, Steve. So I have the poem for you. They're going to pass it out. So I probably ought to um, keep talking to get it in your hands. <clears throat> but anyway, so I'm up there on the hill and I'm looking down and there's, there's all these tents and I'm thinking, wow, how much is this like Israel? I mean, we're even camping like them. And so the Lord gave me a few words I think he did anyway. Um, And they're going to pass that out now to you folks. But there's good news about this type and anti-type thing. They both were victorious. Amen? They both entered in. There is an end to the tunnel. (laughs) And God will bring his people through victorious. We haven't seen any of it yet from what we will see. Um, There's some great things ahead. God has thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, millions that he wants to know this message. Everybody must know it, right? Many will come in to the faith through hearing the message that God has given us. It's amazing, you know, we used to talk about Revelation 13 and, you know, America you know, speaking like a dragon, and people would just go, ha, what are you talking about? Like we were crazy. No one's thinking we're so crazy anymore. And those words we got from our Holy Bible, which was written many, many years ago, God knows exactly what he's doing. And so we see things progressing just like, just like we always knew it was. And that should give us hope. That should give us courage. Because this message that God has given is being fulfilled just like we've always known it was. But I mean, to see it actually coming to pass in such a rapid fashion, the last movements will be rapid ones, is just amazing. And I'm excited for each of you and your families. I think that that poem is pretty much out at this point. Um, 
Sorry, that is my... Now I'm causing a delay. So <laughs> but I promise it won't be 40 years uh, because I should have announced that sooner. <clears throat> All right, so this is what the Lord... Um, thoughts that I had as I looked down from the elementary and looked at the folks camped around. At Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, camped in tents of ease, had come the saints of God. A promise sure awaited them. This land no more to trot. It can be the end Promises to us. Yet soon the startling query rose. Oh, must we enter in? For Egypt's fair, our hearts do long. This fight we cannot win. Alas, our Lord, his heart o'erwhelmed our wanderings to bear. He longs to cure our unbelief, and he has the cure, it's the cross. He longs to cure our unbelief, his kingdom soon to share. Oh Lord, replace our worldliness with hope and love and trust. This long delay, tis ours to own. Now enter in, we must. Let's pray. Father, indeed, this long delay, this long pain, series of pains, protracted length of pain in your heart can be laid upon our shoulders, Lord. Oh yes, we were not there back in 1888. We could say, well, that wasn't, that wasn't me. We were not there back in Egypt as the Israelites came out. But Lord, we must face the fact that our hearts are just like theirs, but for your grace. And so it's that grace that we need, that grace to come and reign on our hearts like a king. Lord, your coming is so very soon, and we have family members that are not in Christ. We have co-workers. We have fellow students. Please, Lord. Help us to be about your business in these last days. You'll give us the strength. You don't ask us to suck it up and make it happen. No, no. Like David's children's story, there's a point where we can do no more, but you do ask us to, by faith, go, and you will bless, and you will do mighty things among us and in our hearts. Lord, we need our hearts prepared. I need my heart prepared. So please, Lord, do your mighty work in us and through us to others that your coming may be hastened, that it might be soon, and that we might be found ready and looking up saying, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. Thank you, Lord, for your strength, for your faith, the faith of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.